Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Yeah. Is Mercury in in retrograde? I really had to go look it up because I was like, so much wild shit is happening right now. And I was like, this ain't normal. It turns out, like, technically we're not. Mercury in retrograde ended on Thursday, the 3rd. So if crazy shit was happening to you all last week, I mean, that could explain that man coming out his face and telling me that I should be happy with what they're paying me. I'm going to let that go, but I ain't let it go yet, clearly. But that would explain that part of it. But everything else that happened since then, I wish I could tell you that life was on the upswing for me right now. It is not. It is not. I am recording this episode on Saturday, February 5th at 3 p.m. It was due like a good... I don't know, like 36 hours ago. And I've just been dealing with some shit. Went to Ghana. I'm not going to stop talking about Ghana. I lied when I said I was going to do that. So before I went to Ghana, I went to the bank and I got a bunch of cash out. In Ghana, cars don't always work. Electricity doesn't always exist. Took my American money, switched it over to Ghanaian CDs because you always have to have cash in Ghana. A lot of places do not take cards. Or again, there is no electricity to use your car. Okay. Didn't spend all the cash during the trip. I had this chunk of cash with me that I needed to take back to the bank. I was BSing on it because I had to do the podcast. I had to write a cover story. I had to do some other stuff. And so I didn't get around to it. So on Wednesday, the second, so technically Mercury still in retrograde, I went to the bank to deposit this cash and also deposit some checks. They were large checks. I didn't want to just do them on my phone. I wanted to take them to a teller and, you know, make sure everything was good. So I've been with this bank for about 20 years. I've been going to this branch ever since I moved downtown and I'm familiar with the tellers enough where like I know their names. They recognize my face. So I go and, you know, I fill out my deposit slip and and I give it to the woman and she says, oh, are you you sure you want to deposit? And I was like, yeah, like, why? Why would I not want to deposit? And so she was like, oh, okay." She said, because we close on Friday. And again, this is Wednesday. And I was like. Okay, well, you'll be, you know, open next week. And she was like, no, 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 no. Like, we close on Friday. And I was like, oh, okay. Because when I lived in North Hollywood, there was a branch of this bank near me there. And when I go run all my errands once a week or once every other week, sometimes I go to that branch of the bank up there too. And last time I went, the branch of the bank had closed, which was weird because when I was living in North Hollywood is when that bank opened. That branch of the bank had only been open for like two years. So I was like, that's weird that it closed. And so now I'm speaking to this woman and she's like, oh no, like this branch is closing too. So I was like, this branch is closing? And I was like, well, which, I was like, what branch is left? And she was like, no, 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 no. The bank, the bank is closing. What do you mean, ma'am, that the bank is closing? I don't understand what that means. It's a bank. It's like it could close at five o'clock, but it opens again at nine on the next business day, unless it's a federal holiday. I don't understand the words that are coming out of your mouth. And so she was like, oh no, like the bank is closing in North America. And she was like, you didn't get like any correspondence. Like, and I was like, no, like I still get like my, my monthly paper statement, but I was like, I've got nothing like saying that the bank was fucking closing. So I was like, well, Okay, well, no, I don't want to make a deposit. Like, give me, give me my checks and my money back. But what about like the money that's in my account? Because this is like my core account where I keep like 
everything. I mean, not like everything. Like I have investments and all that other stuff. But like this is like the my main debit card is with this account. So I'm like, okay. Like I keep a separate bank account at another bank. And my logic for that was like if I lose my debit card or it's stolen or something, I have like a backup bank account and I won't be out here destitute. So I was like, okay, well, I'll just, you know, get a cashier's check and I'll just, you know, take it to the other bank. And so she was like, well, I wouldn't recommend that because you have pending debits coming from your account. I've been using my card because I didn't realize that like, you know, again, the bank was closing. She was like, everything should clear within 48 hours. She was like, if you come back Friday morning, the bank closes at noon. You just have to come Friday morning before noon and we can close out your account. Okay. I go back to the bank on Friday morning, consolidate all my accounts. They give me a cashier's check, which my understanding of a cashier's check is a cashier's check is like almost the equivalent of cash. I talked to him who works in finance. He was like, either way, it's going to clear your account like almost immediately because it's drawn on a bank. It's almost like cash and it's insured. Like you should have no problems. My main bank and my backup bank are across the street from each other. So I get the cashier's check. I literally walk it across the street, go to the teller. Here's my cashier's check. Here are my other checks. Here's this amount in cash. Just take all of this and put it into my account. Even before I could ask her, how long is it going to take to clear? She told me, she was like, oh, the checks are going to clear in the morning. She was like, because of your good standing with this account. I've also had an account at this bank for actually over 20 years, as a matter of fact. I've had it since I was in high school. She said, definitely the cashier's check will clear by the morning. The other checks, you know, it might take till Monday. But as of right now, they're tracked to clear in the morning. Great. That's wonderful. I go do the other shit that I got to do. I come home. I finish up some work. Not the podcast, but stay with me. I did the new merch drop yesterday. We'll get to that in a second. I was like, I'll get up at 4 a.m. and do the podcast. If it gets in before 9 on Saturday, then my producer will put it up. I get an email in the middle of the night from the bank. Yeah, we're holding your checks until February 15th, which is 10 days from now, because, quote, check specific information indicates item may be returned. So y'all think my check's going to bounce? What? I'll give you the checks that are coming from other businesses. But one is a cashier's check. It's like cash. Why are you holding it for fucking 10 days? So all of my money, almost, is just sitting in the ether somewhere waiting to be cleared by this bank for another 10 fucking days. The only reason I'm not in a deep panic is because I have the record of the cashier's check. I have the record of the deposit from the bank. I have an email from the bank acknowledging the deposits came through. They're just holding a cashier's check for no goddamn reason for 10 days. Like it's drawn on a bank. It's FDIC insured. Run me my money. Literally cut me my fucking check. I'm so livid. Can you hear that I'm livid? I had a whole meltdown. I called him like early this morning. They're holding my money. Where is my money? God, it was ugly. It was so ugly. And he was like down to a 10. So I was like, oh my God. And he was like, okay. So like, it's, it's actually pretty standard. And he was like, if you could calmly wait until Monday, there is a possibility that because, you know, technically Saturday is not a business day, even if the, you know, the actual bank branch is open, that maybe, you know, it's taking 24 hours to process and they're going to process it on Monday. And he was like, the checks from the other businesses, you might have to wait on that. That's the L you might have to take. The cashier's check, if you could just wait till Monday. He was like, are you good? Do you need money? I don't. 
Remember that whole like season of instability in my life? You know what I'm referring to, right? Okay. Because of the season of instability, one of my traumas from that is one, that I'm hyper independent. And then two, that I'm super paranoid about being broke. So I have my main bank and I have my backup bank. I also keep money in my PayPal account so that like, not for this scenario per se, my thought process was more like if my wallet gets stolen and somebody runs my debit cards before I can cancel, then I can send money to myself while whatever, while fraud departments figure out like whatever so I can get my money back. But I won't just be like destitute. So I have backup money in this PayPal account, which I have sent to the backup bank who's holding my check forever in a fucking day. So I'm not broke. I can't ball out. I can't buy like a business class ticket to Ghana right now. Nor can I send the money that I need to to pay for my apartment. I just got my lease and I want to sign it, but it's not effective until the money's deposited. I got to sit still for a minute. I have to stop talking about this because like, I feel like I literally feel my blood pressure rising. Like my nose is going to start bleeding any second. Moving along. There is good news. I spoke at USC the other day. They're at Annenberg School of Communications. My really good friend is teaching a class there. And his class this week was about panel speaking. So the students were doing like a mock view type panel. They were learning how to introduce the story the correct way. And then to give hot take informed opinions about what the story is. So we were talking about like how to create a good panel, how to stand out on a panel, how to speak in sound bites and things like that. Oh, the Oprah people called. Not Oprah, but the Oprah people. Like the people from Oprah Daily, like the general manager called and then the executive editor called and apparently they were all reading Dear Mom and they were like, this is amazing. Why isn't Demetria writing for us? She sent me this super wonderful note. She was like, yeah, I was reading your Dear Mom. It gave me like Maya Angelou vibes when she was in Ghana. She was like, I know you have great ideas. Let's find something that fits for us because like we want you to write here. And I was like, oh, I'm like, okay, God. Like, you give me personal earthquakes when I think about, like, not going to Ghana. And then, like, you keep sending things my way because of Ghana. I don't think I told you about, like, the network exec that called me and was like, what are you working on? Like, I know you have amazing ideas and, like, you know, like, we, we want them. Like, what can we do? What are you creating that we can pay you for and bring to life? Really? So, like, God keeps sending these things my way. And I'm like, okay, like, I received that message. But then now you're about to make me broke for like two weeks. What am I supposed to do with that? I'm so confused. <sighs> In other news, I'm not the only one going through it this week. There's like nonstop drama. People have lost their minds. Let's not jump into the drama first. Let's have some good black news. Janet Jackson was a hit for Lifetime. Somehow I didn't realize that the documentary was in celebration of her 40th anniversary of her very first album. And I'm reading this on the YBF.com. The YBF reports that the two-day event brought in record numbers for Lifetime. It is the network's most watched nonfiction show since Surviving R. Kelly. So part one, which aired on Friday, that part was seen by 4 million people. And then the second part, that's another 4 million. And people are still obviously still streaming. And, And Janet Jackson, even though she told everyone that she forgives Justin Timberlake, and they are actually really good friends now. He has taken a dragging, self-included. I participated um, on social media. 
if Janet want to be friends with him, I mean, girl, I guess. But congratulations to her on her documentary. A little dry, but everybody and their mama watched, nonetheless. Colin Kaepernick and Spike Lee are working on a documentary together. I saw that was announced on Spike Lee's page. I really never paid that much attention to him until his Netflix show came out, the one Ava did. And it is kind of Disney Plus, but it's also really, really, really good. His parents, I was like, how did you end up as you? Because you could have gone a whole nother way. Like you could have gone real Carlton Banks. Like, how did you end up as like power to the people? Fuck the system. It was like, we need a part two because his parents tried to stifle all the black out there, boy. They didn't want him to have a black girlfriend, even though he black. I was like, he can have cornrows and an afro, but he can't have a black girlfriend. Hmm? But he's getting a documentary on ESPN. So maybe Spike Lee. And I think Spike Lee's a good person to do this too. You know, Spike Lee is, you know, I'm black, y'all. I'm black, y'all. I'm blackly black and I'm black, y'all. ESPN Films has announced that Spike Lee is going to direct, quote, an upcoming multi-part documentary on Colin Kaepernick. And I'm reading this on Spike Lee's Instagram page. He says, Kaepernick has never given a full first-person account of his journey. He will be collaborating closely with Lee, who plans to use extensive new interviews and a vast never-before-seen archive to help Cap tell his story from his perspective. I'm actually excited about that because, again, I'm curious. I'm like, how did you become you? So the color purple, I don't know what to call it. It's the, it's not the color purple. I have it written down as the color purple too. I guess that is what it is because it's the second film of the color purple. The color purple was a film in the 80s and then it became a Broadway musical in the early 2000s. And so now there's going to be a new film of the color purple that is a musical. And they have cast everybody wonderful for this. And by they, I know Oprah is one of the producers. I've been seeing these videos all over Instagram of the moment that various cast members find out that they got the job. There's one with Fantasia, who I love. The one with, um, what's the girl? Danielle. Danielle Brooks. And I saw her when she was in The Color Purple on Broadway. So we were just meeting her then because she was in Orange is the New Black. And that's like when she exploded. So when I saw her on Broadway, I was like, oh, can she sing? And then like she opened her mouth and I was like, oh, girl, yes, she can. So there's a video of her getting the call that she got the job. And if you've not seen it, please do yourself a favor and look it up. Oprah Winfrey and Danielle Brooks, The Color Purple. The video should come up. I guess the producers or casting or whoever has Danielle on Skype. And then Oprah pops on the screen and she's like, hey, <laughs> that's it. Oprah just, Oprah just comes on the screen. She's wearing purple. She has on her glasses and she just says, hey, and Danielle loses it, like absolutely loses it. And Oprah says it's something like, I'm paraphrasing, like, but it's something like, how you doing? And Danielle was like, oh, oh, I, hey, I'm good. How are you? It's the cutest, sweetest thing I've seen in a really long time. Like I started crying, like I got the role and I was like, oh my God. But this movie is shaping up like really well. Everyone and their mother is in it. Like the casting is amazing. So we just talked about Fantasia. Fantasia's coming in as Celie. And she played Celie on Broadway in 2007. I want to say I saw Fantasia because I went to see The Color Purple on Broadway at least four times over the years. I mean, it ran forever. Coleman Domingo 
is going to play Mr. And I was like, I really have warm and fond, fuzzy feelings for Coleman Domingo. I think he's a gorgeous man. I think he's a great actor. And I was like, he's going to do what he's supposed to do with this role. He's going to do this, not like Danny Glover, but in a similar way to Danny Glover. And I'm going to fuck around and hate Coleman Domingo. I don't want to hate Coleman Domingo, but I feel like he's going to do for this role what he's supposed to do because Mr. is a horrible human. Coleman Domingo is going to embody that and I'm going to have to hate Coleman Domingo. I'm going to have to logically talk myself out of Coleman Domingo is not Mr. Halle Bailey is Nettie. Me and U.S. never part. I love her. I love her. I think she's so cute. Taraji P. Henson is Shug Avery. I can see that. I can see that. Can Taraji sing? Because that's important to the role. I'm going to guess they didn't cast a woman that couldn't sing in a musical. But I was like, have we heard Taraji sing? I don't recall. I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt. Like, she's from the era where, like, people can sing and dance and act, like, you know, multifaceted. I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt. But I'm just like, but can you sing? She got to be able to sing, right? Corey Hawkins as Harpo. Dre from NWA. I love him. I actually know a guy who looks almost exactly like him. It's, like, really funny. He's a really good actor. I'm excited about him. And then her is going to be Squeak. I'm not mad at it. I just think her is like, you know, so huge that I like in Squeak's role. I mean, it's memorable. It's standout. But I was like, that's all her gets? Does her? Are they going to like create more scenes? I feel like she's a huge name for just like that very small role. And then Danielle Brooks as Sophia, which she's going to nail that. It says Warner Brother plans to release the Color Purple musical film in theaters globally on December 20th, 2023. So we got like more than a year to go. We, we just got the cast down. We ain't started no kinds of production, nothing like that. But I'm super, super, super excited for it. I will say, though, like when I first heard about it, I was like, is this necessary? Like, do we need another Color Purple? I mean, like the first one was perfect. What do we need another one for? And then after I saw the cast, I was like, oh, oh, yes, 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 yes. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. I'm in. And other good black news. Actually, we have a lot of good black news this week. Ari Lennox. We talked about um, her most recent interview with a podcaster from South Africa. And he asked her some very inappropriate questions. He has since apologized. His apology was kind of trash. This is what he said, quote, I want to sincerely apologize for that question and how it made her feel and the aftermath, which is good. Sounds good, right? He continues, I'd like to genuinely apologize to Ari or any women, could have stopped there, (sighs) any women I may have offended. Sir, I hate that, like that may have offended if I, if your feelings were hurt, blah, blah, blah. No, you, you did some trash shit. I'm sorry for the trash shit that I did. I should not have done that. Like take accountability, not the, if your feelings were hurt, maybe you were offended, blah, blah, blah. So he went on to say, and this was on Van Lathan's show. I think this is a podcast, Higher Learning. The guy, and I'm specifically not saying his name because I think he said that offensive shit to Ari Lennox specifically so he could go viral and he could make a name for himself, which is exactly what happened. I will give him no extra boost in popularity by mentioning him. But he said, quote, in the beginning, I didn't see anything wrong with what I said. For me, I was looking at it in terms of if it's the lyric, then I can ask whatever it is. Nothing is off limits. But what I learned from this is that it's not about what you ask. 
It's how you ask it. Didn't I say this when we covered this? You can ask about all types of shit. You just can't be like inappropriate when you do it. So that part sounds better, right? That he's like cleaning up from the like, you know, for people who might have been offended. Then he goes on and he says, after the interview, she asked for some stuff to be removed, which I did remove. When she was tweeting that I didn't remove some of the stuff she asked for, I found that disingenuous. If we were to upload some of the stuff we did remove, there would have been more chaos. We sent her team the episode, they approved it, and we uploaded it. He also says that because the interview was done via um, Skype or Zoom, he said um, with virtual, it's very hard to pick up on the vibes of what the person might be feeling. And I think if we were doing the episode live, I would have picked up on that and probably would have moved it along. Did you see the video? Of Ari Lennox, the, 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 the clip that was circulating when he asked her, he literally asked this woman, like, is anyone fucking you good? Which is a lyric from her song, but he gave it like no context. Like I was listening to XYZ song and there's a lyric that says, and so I want to ask you, you know, is that happening for you or something like that? Like he just came like sideways out the blue. Like, is anyone fucking you good? And she was visibly uncomfortable. Like she sputtered, she stammered. She asked him something like, why would you say that to me? She was obviously confused and offended. So the idea that he was like, oh, if she was in studio, I would have noticed. How did you not notice on the screen? Like, are you that, tone deaf is not the right word, but are you that lacking in social skills? Like you have no emotional IQ whatsoever. But I guess that question answers itself. Because if you did, you wouldn't ask someone like, is anyone fucking you good in like an interview? I'm reading this on shinemycrown.com, which had like a great summary of it. But also Love B. Scott covered this as well. And he included Van Jones' response when the guy was calling Ari Lennox disingenuous. And this is what Van said. He said, quote, to apologize and then to come back on the end of it and talk about the fact that you felt like she was being a bit disingenuous. It depowers your apology a little bit. We can talk about what you feel like Ari and her team did. That's very fair. But you saw what she went through on Twitter. You saw that she was embarrassed. That's one of our sisters. I think Van pretty consistently gets it right. Like I agree with like, I say probably like 95% of what he says. And I very much appreciate him calling this dude out about Ari Lennox. You know, when I talked about Ari Lennox, I kept asking, I was like, has she done anything? Like, did, has she said something inappropriate that like, you know, people just keep coming for her so hard. And a couple of y'all that listened to the episode came in my DMs and they were like, girl, all she is, is a dark skinned black girl in a public space. That's it. There's no problematic. There's nothing that you're missing. She's a black girl. That's it. We're going to talk about colorism a little bit later on in the episode because your girl, Sandy Newton, your girl jumped the fuck out there this week. I think she had good intent, but like, baby, she fumbled the fucking ball. I was like, ooh, let me go tan, get some more brown. I'm not trying to be anywhere near the lights. Like, they catching it this week, rightfully. Our last bit of good black news, Essence. Essence released their digital cover this week, and The Method, MF Man, was on the cover. I saw the video and I literally gasped out loud. Now, you know, I run my mouth for a living. I always have so much to say. I was left speechless. Clifford Smith Jr. You know, one of my favorite phrases is he is a God among mere mortals. I don't say that for many people. I say that about Clifford Smith Jr. I say that about, um, oh, the Michael M.F. Ely. 
There's one more who I say it about. There's one more who I say it about. I can't remember who my other big crush is right now. I know he's brown. I know he's wide. Who is my other big crush? I got to talk about Michael Ely and Method Man. and Oh, Idris. Sorry. The Idris M.F. Elba. Yes. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Got lost there for a minute. Yes. Gods who walk among us mere mortals. Oh, and I just want Essence to know I'm mad at everybody that work at Essence. I've been working on a project with Essence in various capacities for the last two weeks. Last Monday, when the podcast was late as shit, I was hanging out with the Essence people working on this project. I hung out with three of them. One of them who's like, I consider a friend for like, you know, like the last 15 years. Like we talked about Ghana and I was like, girl, I'm gonna have like a two bedroom. Like you're always welcome to come crash. Just let me know. And I meant that shit. But we talked, we broke bread, we kikied, we, we worked. It was a beautiful time. But I hung out with these mofos for seven to eight hours and no one mentioned to me that Method Man was on the goddamn cover. I'm like, are you serious? Now, I know I don't work there no more, but I'm working with y'all. Y'all got me doing other top secret shit. You can't tell me about Method Man. You trust me with your knowledge of your March, April print cover, but you won't trust me with your digital cover. Oh, Essence. Those are my boos. I love them. I love them so much. Essence is still like home for me, but I'm salty. I'm salty. I'm salty. Nobody told me he was on the cover. Nobody sent me any behind the scenes photos. Like I feel ways. I also feel ways, different ways, about Clifford Smith Jr. When I finally found my words after I got them together, because everyone, their mother, was like tagging me or sending it to me. And they were like, could you just write a little something? Like, I just need you, I just need to know your thoughts about meth. I wrote on Instagram something like, skin like brass, hair like lamb's wool, made in the image of Christ. I had to go biblical, because otherwise I was just going to say inappropriate, filthy shit. You know, Method Man's wife don't play about him. Like I say things about Method Man and I mean them as a respectful fan. But I also know that like, you know, I have like this large platform. So I say crazy shit and it gets back to people that I'm talking about. Method Man's wife could have rightfully been cursed me out ages ago. And if she called me tomorrow and cursed me out, I would just have to take the L because I'm like openly fawning and lusting over this woman's husband. Now, I don't mean no disrespect. I'm looking at him like like a star, like a celebrity, not like somebody I'm trying to encounter and like be with. I wouldn't know what to do if I saw Method Man in real life. I would just stand there stunned. I talk so much shit, but I would just be like, oh, oh. I wouldn't be able to get words out. I've seen him in person before and I, I couldn't get words out. Like I was just like, oh my God. I mean, I was 20 something then, but like every time I see him and just all his full meth and man glory, like I'm taken back to like being a teenager watching that Mary and meth video when he ran to get the pads, like him sitting on top of the roof with the one blank eye and, and half his cornrows undone and still being like, I have never seen a man like this before. I had two awakenings in my life where I was just like, oh, I'm definitely heterosexual. One of them was Denzel and Glory. I might have been 11. That was the first time I felt a flutter in my spirit about a man. And I was like, oh, shit, I don't know what that is. Feeling is like that was the first time I was like, oh, I'm attracted to men. <laughs> the second time where I was like, "Ooh, that's a man like dating high school boys and looking at high school boys is one thing. But looking at like behold a man, method man. I wouldn't know what to do. I would turn into a 15 year old again, like just fumbling with my hands, just getting all jittery and shit. Like I just, yeah, you know, the third time him left me speechless. First time I met him, walked in and it was in slow motion. You can tell I'm like back on him again. Yeah, clearly. 
Next topic. Well, no, same topic. Still Method Man. I was thinking about the appeal of Method Man. And yes, he's like physically stunning. But like there's other attractive men that don't inspire the same sort of united awe through black women. Women fawn over meth. And I was trying to think about like what is the what is like the thing? And one of the things, I mean, in addition to like just the way he looks, like the man has just been getting finer and finer and finer. It makes no sense. It's like, how are you 51? And not to say 51 is old, but like every 51 year old don't look like meth or anywhere near meth. One of the things that I think is his appeal, he's not problematic. I can't think of anything Method Man has said or done over the years where I'm just like, what the fuck, meth? Why? Why would you say that? Think about Tyrese. Tyrese is not in his 50s. I'm just using him as an example of someone who's like very physically appealing to me, who I'm completely turned off by. Before Tyrese got on Instagram and Twitter, I thought for years that Tyrese was a god among mere mortals. Like physically, that is the phenotype that does it for me. But he has opened his mouth so many times and said such demented, deranged shit that I'm just like, ugh. When I see him, I'm physically repulsed at the sight of him. He's been so publicly terrible. Method Man doesn't have that. Like, I literally cannot think of anything. He's this gorgeous man who's been famous since he was like, I don't know, in his early 20s. He's been married forever and a day. I've never heard one scandal about women involving meth. Like, I remember a couple years ago, like Wendy Williams was talking about how she knocked down meth when they were both in their 20s and they had sex in her jacuzzi or something like that. And I was like, well, you know what? I mean, I thought it was distasteful, but truth be told, truth be told, if I had knocked down meth, I might tell y'all about it too. Cause that's a little feather in my cap. Meth is a trophy fuck. You like, you experience the trophy. You want to tell people about the trophy. Now meth's wife did curse Wendy the good fuck out for that. And I was like, well, you know, Wendy deserved that. And then I also was like, you know, that lady don't play about her husband. And that's why I feel the need to mention her. Cause I just want her to know that I I'm lusting as a fan. Don't come curse me out, man. I know I'll be saying wild shit, but I come in peace. I mean, no harm, but no, but like, that's it. Like, that's literally the only scandal I can think of with method man. But it's like, he goes and does interviews. He doesn't say crazy shit. He not out here. Like Jermaine Dupree sounded just dumb as fuck. Talking about, I cheated on Janet Jackson. Tee hee hee. Nigga, that's not funny. Even with this Essence interview, like they asked him something about like being a sex symbol. He kept it real humble and cute. He was like, yeah, no, I'm not trying to be a sex symbol. Like I, I work out and, and eat well and, and drink my water because like I want to be, I want to be like, I want to be healthy. I think he said he was flattered by it, but he was like, that's, that's not my thing. I'm not out here trying to be a sex symbol. I'm just pursuing my passions, doing my work. And I was like, oh, I just love him even more. He behaves like a grown-ass man. That's the appeal. Like, he looks the way he does, and then he also behaves like a grown-ass man. And I think so many men don't look like him and don't behave like grown-ass men that when you see one, you're just like, (sighs) and he married to a black chick? I, I won't have a shot in this lifetime. She has him all of this lifetime. But if there's another lifetime, then that's fair game, and I'm gonna shoot my shot respectfully. Oh, I have one here to talk about this um, Sex in the City review. I think I did a, a pretty good review on my Instagram page. I don't think I need to like rehash that one again. Um, 
I like the series very, very much. And I thought the last five minutes of the finale were just like excellent TV, um, excellent storytelling in the way that, you know, you want to know what's going to happen next. From what I was reading, there's been a lot of like recaps about the show. I more or less loved it. I would give it like a strong like eight. Um, It absolutely needed Samantha. Some of the integration of, of like the new women of color on the show was a little clunky. But overall, like I thought it was a strong series. I really enjoyed it. I tuned in every episode. Like I recapped every episode, even from abroad. I definitely want a season two. But now that the show is over, I've been reading various recaps of the season and conversations about the show. And a lot of people absolutely hated it. Like they hate the Che character. And I was like, really? Like I like Che. I think she might be a fuck day, but she's much less fuck day than I thought they would be. Um, a lot of people absolutely hated Miranda. They're like the way that she behaved in this in this in this reboot is totally not Miranda. It's not true to character. There's this really famous Muhammad Ali quote, and I'm going to butcher it, but it's something like if you're um, if you think at 50 the same way you did at 20, then you've wasted 30 years. The first reiteration of the show, like they were in their mid 30s, and now this one they're in their mid 50s. It's only been 20 years, but I think the same thing applies. Miranda is the logic of the show. She's the brain. Miranda has always tried to be like the smart one, sometimes like the cynical one, but the one that like thinks everything through. And where that got her was to a point in life where she was unhappy with her marriage. She's not really satisfied with herself as a mother. She wasn't satisfied with her job. She did the things that she thought the right way they were supposed to be done. And it left her unfulfilled. And now she's trying something different. And I really appreciated actually like a character who was so logical decides to be emotional decides that I'm going to like take this risk and like you know change my life I don't like the way that she did it I mean she cheated on Steve and yeah he cheated on her before but it was years ago and she decided to stay like you don't get to cheat back and be like well you did it so I did it too we're even that's not really how it works I think she handled the ending of her marriage all wrong. That said, there is no real right way to do it. Telling someone that you want a divorce is always going to be fucked up. There's no way not for it to be. You know, you pledge forever with somebody and then you're just like, yeah, I'm getting off this ride. I know we took vows and shit. I know we signed certificates and shit. I know we got like a legal contract and shit, but I went out. But I actually liked Miranda's character arc. I think Che could do a whole lot of things better, but I also think Che is nowhere near as bad as the writers could have made her. Like she really could have broken Miranda's heart. I I saw someone writing about how Che is basically Miranda's version of Big and I was like, oh, I was like, yeah, Miranda about to get dragged. Damn. But I hope we get a season two to see it happen. I want to see what else is going on with Seema and the Euro guy. I want to see what's going on with Carrie and that sexy ass producer. So like literally from the first episode, the first time they panned to the producer, I was like, oh, he fine as shit. What are we doing with him? He just going, he can't just be in the background. I was like, he too fine to be an extra. Do something with him. So like literally in the last like, you know, 30 seconds of the show, they did something with him. And I was like, yes, yes. So I want to see what's coming next. Um, HBO has not signed on for a season two, even though the new sex in the city and just like that is the correct name. Even though it's the most highly watched or highly streamed show on HBO Max, it has not been picked up for season two. And I'm confused. Like the executive producer of the show, he wants to do it. The stars of the show are very much like, we want to do it. What's the problem? Also, I thought in the finale, they desperately needed Samantha. I really, 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 really wanted Samantha to pop up. And in my review, I wrote about that. And I was like, she was texting Samantha and Samantha was responding. 
and Carrie was trying to see her and Samantha said tomorrow. And so they're keeping the character involved in the show. I mean, via text. But I was like, they need her to show up at some point. Both the EP of the show and Sarah Jessica Parker have been like, that's a wrap. They were like, the actress that plays Samantha Kim Cattrall has been like so publicly antagonizing, for lack of a better word, or publicly unhappy. Because I think antagonizing makes it seem like they've done nothing to her and she's, she's just coming at them for no reason. But she got a beef about something. Michael Patrick King, that's why I keep calling executive producer. His name was not coming in my head. I remember Patrick. I could not remember Michael. But he said that, you know, Samantha's a rap too. So he was like, all of us pining for Samantha, it's just not going to happen. And I was like, I mean, yeah, that happens all the time in Hollywood. Cut this woman a rightful check. Cut this woman a check. She has a number for which she would say yes. Can we just meet it, please, so we can have like a scene? Give me one episode of Samantha and she can go on her merry way. She has a number. Everyone has a number. Just pay it. It's the number one streaming show on HBO Max. We know HBO got money. Cut the check. Cut the check. Cut this lady her check. <sighs> Do I want to talk about this next batch of shit? I'm going to have to save some things for next week. These are the things that we're going to talk about on Tuesday. We're going to talk about Kanye and Kim, this latest public feud that Kanye has started over their eight-year-old daughter, North, on TikTok which I didn't even know the girl had a TikTok until Kanye announced it with, with a picture of North and the name of her TikTok. He put it on his Instagram page to his 10 million followers. How do you complain about your baby on social media when you putting your baby on social media? Huh? We'll talk about that next week. I want to talk about this conflict. Actually, let me say this right now because I got it wrong last week. Last week, we talked about Joe Rogan And the misinformation about COVID that he was saying on his podcast, which is the number one podcast on Spotify, which has 11 million listeners per episode, five days a week. And Spotify pays him $100 million for the exclusive rights for his show. Singers, Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, author Brene Brown, and Brene Brown has a deal with Spotify as well. They all asked that they're work be pulled from Spotify in a protest of Joe Rogan spreading misinformation about COVID. I also talked about how India Ari had jumped into the conversation because of Joe Rogan's stance on race. So I looked up what that was and I found a recent, literally like from that day of Michael Eric Dyson responding to commentary that Joe Rogan had made about him questioning his blackness and then about Black people, specifically Africans living in caves, that he said on his podcast. I believed that Joe Rogan's horrible take on black culture and what it meant to be black, and then also his reference about African people in caves, which, by the way, I think is far worse than what Whoopi Goldberg was suspended for saying on The View. I think she was good-intentioned but ill-informed. And I don't think what she said was offensive. I think Joe Rogan was intentionally being malicious and offensive in what he said. That said, I was wrong about the exact reason that India Ire wanted her music pulled from Spotify. India Ire was like, oh, no, no. Oh, no, no. It's much worse. So India Ire ran this clip on her, her Instagram page of why she is upset with Joe Rogan. This mofo... Been out here using the N-word like he's Trinidad James. 
nigga, 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 with the ER on it. Sir. White, sir. You are not in a Quentin Tarantino film. What the fuck is wrong with you? What the fuck is wrong with you? Nigga, 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 nigga. So Joe Rogan earlier this week apologized for his commentary on COVID. And he's like, you know, I'm just asking questions. I never have the, the idea to offend. I'm not trying to be controversial. The Rock and Trevor Noah were like, oh, it was a good apology. The Rock was like, I look forward to coming on your show. And I was like, that's going to come back to bite him in the ass. And I just thought all he had done was like the Michael Eric Dyson comments and the African people in caves, which, you know, is really bad. But in comparison to full Trinidad James, it's really not all that bad. The Rock and Trevor Noah are going to catch residual hell for supporting him last week. And they shouldn't. Folks need to keep their focus on this white man dropping M-bombs left and right. So Joe Rogan has issued an apology again. I feel like all this man does right now is apologize. But he has issued another apology for using the M-bomb with the hard ER all over the place. Let's see if we can find it. I'm going to pull this up on NPR. They're running the Associated Press content. This is, again, this is NPR. It says Spotify's popular U.S. podcaster Joe Rogan apologized Saturday after a video compilation surfaced that showed him using racial slurs in clips of episodes over a 12-year span. Rogan said that this use of slurs was the most regretful and shameful thing that I've ever had to talk about publicly. He said the clips were, quote, taken out of context. He says, it's not my word to use. I am well aware of that now, but for years I used it in that manner. I never used it to be racist because I'm not racist. Are you not? This NPR story also includes a quote about a clip from a podcast episode and where he talks about how he went to see a movie in a black neighborhood. And he said, when we walked out, it was like we were in Africa. It was like we were in Planet of the Apes. The fuck is wrong with this man? How are you not a racist, but you comparing being in a black neighborhood to being like the Planet of the Apes? You're comparing black people to apes. What the fuck? Rogan says that he wasn't trying to be racist, but realized, quote, it was an idiotic thing to say. He said he deleted that podcast, but someone must have saved the clip. NDR Reed goes on to say that the reason she wants to be taken off Spotify is because that the platform is built on the back of music streaming business. It doesn't really pay that well, but the money that they generate from the music side is what they use to pay these podcasters all this money. She doesn't want the money that they generate from playing her music. She doesn't want any of it to go toward Joe Rogan, which point, point taken. I'm trying to find another Joe Rogan story because I saw a different set of quotes earlier. Okay, I'm reading from CNN Business right now. Oh, and I want to talk about CNN too because the president of CNN just stepped down. There's so much drama this week. I can't even fit it all into one episode. We'll talk about that next week too. But reading from CNN Business about Joe Rogan, he says, quote, I know that to most people, there's no context where a white person is ever allowed to say that, never mind publicly on a podcast. And I agree with that. Now, I haven't said it in years. Um, even if, you know, by Joe Rogan's account that, you know, these clips of him dropping all these N-bombs are from like 11 and 12 years ago, a decade ago. It's not like, you know, in 2010, it was acceptable for white people to be dropping N-bombs everywhere. 
2000s. It wasn't acceptable then. 1990, 1980, you can go back a full 40 years. It wasn't acceptable from when this man was like a teenager. Like, why was he saying it frequently with the hard ER at that? Why was he saying it at all? 12 years ago in, in polite company, especially when being recorded, recording yourself at that, Jesus Christ, dumbass, people referred to it as the N-word. You, you've at least known since the mid-90s as a white person that it's not acceptable to do that. Even when quoting, I haven't used that in years. Sir, you shouldn't ever have been using it. Since you were a child, it has been unacceptable for it to be used in public company, in polite company, and definitely in recorded company. If you're going to be a goddamn racist, you don't record yourself doing it and then publish it. Nigga, I can say it. You can't. I don't get this, this, this compulsion that so many white people have to like want to say the N-word and then be like, I'm not racist. I'm not racist. I'm not racist. I am aware of many racial slurs that apply to many groups of people. I, there are ones for Hispanic people. There are ones for Indian people. There are ones for Jewish people. There's ones for every group of people. Somehow, somehow, I just manage not to use them. Now, when people act like assholes, I just call them asshole. When people act like motherfuckers, I just call them a motherfucker. I just don't understand this compulsion that white people like Joe Rogan, like they just must use the N-word. They just must. Why? Why is it such an important thing to you? Oh, I'm not a racist, but I'd be dropping N-bombs. And where is his suspension? Where is his suspension? Because Whoopi Goldberg got suspended from The View. She didn't use any ethnic or racial slurs. She was misinformed about how people in Nazi Germany thought about race. She didn't seem to understand that the way that we consider race in America is not the same way that is not the same way that race was considered in Nazi Germany, which makes perfect sense because race is a social construct and the people in power of whatever community, culture, country construct race in a way that benefits them. And so here in America, Jewish is considered white. That's how we look at Jewish. That doesn't mean anybody else in the world has to look at Jewish that way. And Whoopi was misinformed when she said that the Holocaust had nothing to do with race. Because if you know just a little bit about the Holocaust, maybe you've been to the museum before. One of the core things that Hitler talks about is the Aryan race. Aryans are one race. Jewish people in Nazi Germany were considered a different race. In the same way that America would portray black people as... Monkeys, gorillas, animals, planet of the apes, like what Joe Rogan said, to other us, to make us inferior, to justify treating us like shit and, you know, killing us, that type of shit. In Nazi Germany, Jewish people were depicted as a different race. They were portrayed in images of rats or vermin to other them, to present them as inferior, to justify treating them like shit and to justify killing them. Again, I don't think it was malicious. I think she was ill-informed. I also think in her commentary, in her commentary, she was not praising the Holocaust. She was not trying to justify the Holocaust. She was not trying to pretend it didn't exist. I think she went as far as to call it evil. She was just incorrect about the perception that Nazi Germany had about race. Again, she wasn't being malicious. But her ass gets suspended for two weeks. Which, by the way, I read something. I want to say it was on page six, which they be kind of accurate sometimes. But they were like, Whoopi is livid and considering quitting The View. 
She's very insulted by her suspension. So I'm very curious about what happens on The View from here. It would not shock me if Whoopi did not come back. Like she's been very vocal over the year that she's just showing up to collect her check and go home at the end of the day. Um, Whoopi has good coin. Whoopi could go find another job tomorrow and be good money. So I'd be interested in what happens with The View. But that said, Joe Rogan is out here with clips of N-bombs everywhere. He's apologizing this week for dropping N-bombs. Last Sunday, he was apologizing for using his platform to spread misinformation about COVID during a global pandemic. Where's his goddamn censure? Where's his two-week suspension? Like he just gets to say, I'm sorry, and Spotify just moves the fuck on? No! You've got a whole raging fucking racist that you're paying $100 million to who's the leader on your fucking platform. He's intentionally saying malicious, racist shit. And like he's talking about, oh, I said this shit 12 years ago. You said some offensive shit about Africans in caves and questioned Michael Eric Dyson's blackness last week. Where is his suspension? Where is his censure? Spotify just going to let him get away with that shit? Oh, he's white and male in America. Whoopi gets overpunished despite two apologies. Twice for two different major fuck-ups and will be on the air all next week. Happy Black History Month. We have more to talk about next week and we will. I'm going to try to record this episode this weekend so it can go up on time. I'm really sorry about the delay this week. I just, I had to deal with this bank shit and some other personal stuff. Also on our list of things to talk about next week is Zakira Sheard, gospel singer who said she don't let women stay at her house. She makes them go to a hotel because of her husband. And I was like, ma'am, if your husband is such a hoe, you afraid he's going to try to fuck your friends in your house? Why you marry that man? Why you marry that man, lady? And then AJ Johnson, she got on a podcast talking about a threesome she had when she turned 50. And I was like, tell us more, ma'am. Tell us more. We'll talk about that. And then, like I said, we're going to talk about colorism with the tragic mulatto known as Thandie Newton. That shit. I can't do it all this episode. We'll be sitting up here talking for two hours. It's already 4.50. I need to get this thing in. I feel really bad for my producer. I got to send this lady flowers or something before she hate me. As I mentioned at the top of this episode, I did drop the new merch for Ratchet and Respectable. So the feminist lips with ratchet hips, those are available. The Ratchet and Respectable signature clothing in black and gold this time. So there's black and gold, white and gold, and green and white now. Oh, Shut the Fuck Up is free in a new colorway. So now it's black, white, and podcast green. So I just dropped those on the website at like midnight on Saturdays. So so if you want to get new merch, go pick up your merchandise, and then I'll be back on Tuesday. Talk soon. Okay, bye.